0: You wake up to the sound of alarms And you're driving your fabulous car Listening to the music that reminds you You used to be young, you used to be young And now you're searching for a sign with your name to define you you to learn, so close me up. Once is not enough. I can still. To your dreams
1: This is the end of the world news sponsored by God. Yeah, that song was uh, Tom McRae and the song is end of the world news. Uh, That was sent to me. That was a little tip, a little musical tip that was sent to me by a guy named John Waterlow. Hi, John. Thank you for that. Obviously, I really enjoyed that song. Um, John's a Patreon supporter. I pay special attention to emails from Patreon supporters. Actually, I'm I'm being facetious, but it's true I do see all those myself. The the other ones go through my assistant, some of which get to me, some of which don't. Uh there're too many to, you know, deal with all of them. But anyway, uh here's what John said about Tom McGray, his debut album was nominated for a big award here in the UK, but he refused to make radio-friendly music, so he spent the next 17 years plugging away, making beautiful, poignant, and sometimes angry music, but it's rare for anyone to have heard any of it. So that's uh, Tom McGray, End of the World uh, News, and in parentheses, Dose Me Up. Anyway, I thought I would throw together a Roma episode. Uh my packing went more efficiently than I expected, so I've got a little time. I'm uh, before I leave tomorrow morning to go interview uh Esther Perel. That'll be fun I'm meeting her in the morning at her hotel. Gonna Chat with her for an hour or so, and then jump in the van, Scarlett Johansson, and head out toward Moab, Utah. I think I'm gonna stop the first night in Zion National Park, probably. Maybe spend a day there, um, and then mosey on up to Moab and hang out in the Red Rocks area for a while. So I thought I'd I'd put together this. Roma episode, which will come out, I guess I'll have it come out next week, next Monday, since I already released the Michael Aranda episode today. I'm sorry if that's confusing for you. If you're listening in the future, you're like, why is he talking? I don't give a shit. It's fucking 2018. I'm in the archives, dude. Sorry. All right. So let's uh, let's look at some of the Roma questions that come in from Patreon people. We'll... We'll uh, give them preference. Hey, Chris, this is from Eric. Hey, Chris, I sent you an email. How do you feel about the American custom of tipping for everything? It seems like much of the world doesn't practice it except where it has bled through from American influence. I personally hate it. Just give me the price. Um, It seems like if you don't throw in at least 15%, you're an asshole. Just interested in hearing your thoughts. My thoughts are I fucking hate tipping. I despise it. It disgusts me. But I do it. I mean, I do it in America. Uh, I don't do it in Spain. In fact, in Spain, I have been chastised for tipping. um, Because Spanish people are like, why are you paying that taxi driver more than it costs? What the fuck is wrong with you? You're you're like, don't do that. You're going to fuck up our culture. And I I respect that. Look, the thing about tipping is that it's like so many things in corporate world. What they do is they rip you off and then the only person you can complain to is another person who's getting ripped off. So... The actual perpetrator of the crime is nowhere to be found. So it's like, uh, yeah, we fucked you over. Call our customer service representative. And the customer service representative is some poor person who is making minimum wage or less working in some fucking sweatshop in Bombay or Mumbai or whatever the fuck it's called. What the hell do they have to do with any of this? But they have to listen to you yell and scream and, you know, whatever. Do what they can to placate you. But in fact, it's like the wars that are being fought. It's the poor people, you know, sent out to kill other poor people where the actual interests that are clashing are nowhere near a battlefield. And so... Tipping is a way for business owners to screw their employees and shift the cost of paying someone a decent wage onto customers as an unstated, dishonest, additional tax on the food. And the more the culture sort of... uh, you know, insists, yeah, I, I, tipping's gone from 15% to 20% as a standard rate uh, in my lifetime. I don't know how the fuck that happened. When did it go up to 20%? It used to be 20% was over tipping. 20% was, you know, when you were hoping to go out with the waitress at some point in the future, or when it was, a, you know, someone in his or her 60s and you felt terrible that they had to be working at all and, You know, that was an overly generous tip. Now 20% standard. I don't know. I don't get it. It's bullshit. It's exploitative of the workers. It's exploitative of the customers. It's dishonest because it's not on the menu. Uh, it's, It's just total fucking bullshit and I hate it. But you also have to recognize that the people who you're not tipping are not the people that need to be getting screwed. It's the business owners. It's the whole fucking culture, but that's the way they do it. So yeah, there you have it. I hate tipping, but I do it. Uh, All right. Let's see. What's the next one? Has it always been easy for you to do the intro monologue? I do podcasts myself and I've got no problem speaking to the mic when I'm having a conversation, but I find it really difficult to just talk to the mic when I'm all by myself. Drink more beer. This is from Yunus. Uh, I always just end up writing a script and then reading that to the mic. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I videotaped myself doing these, um, these intros or, or the Rome episodes where I'm by myself a while back. And I don't know if I talked about this or not, but, um, when I looked at the video, it was kind of strange. It was kind of spooky actually, cause I, I could see that I was entering into some altered state uh where I was just staring off into the distance and um just talking and and it was uh it was interesting to see that because yeah I feel kind of comfortable at this point just talking to a microphone um I think it's kind of like you know, the fantasy world for a blowhard like me, you get to just talk and nobody interrupts you. You don't have to <laughs> you don't have to shut up and listen to other people. You can just go on and on. It's amazing. Wonderful. Uh so I don't know, maybe it's a personality thing. Uh I I guess I do like hearing I like the sound of my own voice, as they say, which is rarely a uh compliment. And I'm not singing so it's not a compliment, but yeah, I I guess it helps me in a way. It's like I'm thinking out loud and I never listen to these before I post them. That would be weird. I I mean, that would be maybe it's weird that I don't. I know Duncan, for example, really works on his introductions. He writes them out, he practices them, he he really puts a lot of work into it and um yeah, I don't. I just, I rarely, I don't even have notes most of the time. In fact, I had a note. I spent the last 10 minutes looking. I, I saw a note today saying that I should read an email from someone on the next episode. Now I can't find the fucking note anywhere. So even when I have notes, I, I don't use them. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I guess it's it's been pretty easy for me. But uh, I don't know. The premise there is that my introductions are worth listening to, which I don't know if that's true. So I'll leave that to you. Okay. This is from someone else. Um, from what I've gathered from the podcast, you seem like you've never really had a problem dealing with women, dating, sexual encounters, whatever we want to call it. I'm aware that I could be mistaken about this. I may have missed something. Uh, But to get right to the point, what the hell is it that women are looking for in a partner? It seems like whatever it is, I don't have it. Like there's something innately wrong with me that every female can see that I just can't. I'm 26, and I've never been in a proper relationship. I feel like I've been in love a couple times in my life, but none of these women felt the same way about me. I can accurately say that I've been the one getting rejected in 100% of my romantic endeavors. I have a very hard time understanding this, because when I look at myself objectively uh, and not through the lens of self-loathing, which I admit I'm often prone to, I really do like the person I am. I'm self-employed, self-reliant. I read a lot, try to learn new things. I'm funny, outgoing, and fun to spend time with. I'm not terrible to look at. Keep up with my appearance, have hobbies, work out. I eat right. I'm a good cook. I try to be self-aware. I meditate. Uh, I have plenty of flaws, but I think by and large, I'm aware of the worst ones and actively try to work on them through mindfulness and other practices. Twice in my life, I've dealt with crushing loss. And I think I've done a good job of channeling that pain into becoming a better person. I hope I don't come off as an arrogant douche. No, you don't. Um, the only reason I even listed all those qualities is because I constantly need to remind myself of them when I have the urge to be overly self-critical. Because so many people have told me that my only problem is confidence, and if I hear that one more time, I'm going to scream. I have confidence. That list that I just read is a declaration of confidence, but if I was getting if I was out getting a car accidents everybody, every month, nobody would tell me my only problem is confidence. Okay, this is a very long email. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, let me just get down to the end here. I'm very close with my family. I have about a dozen intense, intensely close, lifelong friendships with men and women. Why isn't that enough? Why do we make a distinction between romantic love and platonic love? Am I being greedy? Am I a whiny little bitch? I don't know. I just needed to vent. All right. So, you know, what? when I felt reading this, a couple of things. One is that, no, I haven't always been relaxed with women. Um, in fact, that leads into the second thing I thought, which is the question of age. When I was 26, I wasn't relaxed with women. Um, I had had better luck with women than it sounds like this guy's having. Um, but I'd had problems with women. I'd, I'd had a couple of women in my life who, uh, I was very, very into, very in love with and who also loved me. And so that was wonderful. But, um, there was also... There were problems. There was um, a lot of nervousness around women. Um, There were women who found me to be way too intense, um, who just wanted to be friends, and I always wanted more than that. um, But they were right to be wary of me um, because I wanted... I think that when I was in my 20s I had an insatiable appetite for um experience and I was traveling a lot I was I was tripping a lot I was reading a lot I, I sound not dissimilar to this guy um and the fact is that a lot of the women that I was dealing with were looking for a partnership. They were looking for a friendship. They were looking for some depth and consistency. And, and I, you know, anyone who got to know me even a little bit would have seen that I was a very poor candidate for that. Um, Which doesn't sound like that's what this guy's going through necessarily. But my point is that, No, it wasn't always easy for me, um, and it still isn't easy for me. Relationships are hard forever. And um, out of respect for people that I'm in relationships with, I won't go further than that, but relationships are always, always uh, complicated and delicate and um, wonderful. I mean, they're all we have. Each other is all we have. It's all that's really worth any anything. But, but it's hard because people, everybody's on a path. Everybody's trying to work through their shit, or they aren't, which is worse. Um, but those of us who are trying to move forward on the path, the paths move. The paths wind, and they intersect and then they they veer away and, and there's difficulty, there's sadness, there's trying to stay close with someone when maybe what they need is for you not to be close. There's trying to pull someone closer to you who maybe doesn't want to be closer to you, maybe shouldn't be closer to you. There's, they're always competing interests and, and difficulties to work out. So, Um, No, it hasn't always been easy for me and it still isn't easy for me. And it doesn't surprise me that at 26 years old, it's not easy for you either. So uh, what advice do I have? One um, is to think about that one line that you threw in there, which is, I really do like the person I am when I'm looking at myself objectively and not through the lens of self loathing. Why? do you look at yourself through a lens of self-loathing ever? Why is that a struggle for you? What's going on there? I would look closely at that and try to get to the bottom of that because that will, if you can work that out and you can unravel that mystery, that's going to help you immeasurably not only in relationships for the rest of your life, but in everything else you do for the rest of your life and just falling asleep and having nice dreams and waking up with a smile on your face and loving and being a good parent and a good friend and a good husband and whatever, whatever else you become in life, you're going to be better at it. If you can figure out what the fuck is going on there, if you had a parent who shit on you or, some other some shit went down when you were young that you feel guilty about and and hate yourself over whatever it is that you got to work that out. You're 26, work on that. Now's now's the time. Now is always the time, like they say, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, the second best time is today. So same thing with working out our shit, you know. You couldn't have worked it out 20 years ago, but work it out now, man. Um, If that requires psychotherapy, it sounds like you've got the money. uh, Find a good psychotherapist and talk that shit out and figure out what's going on and iron out that bug in the software because that's going to plague you forever. Um, And the thing is, women are savvy characters. I think men don't realize that quite how much more sophisticated a lot of women are in terms of emotional intelligence. And I think, you know, maybe there's something similar going on in your life as to what was going on in mine, which is that, you know, even women who were attracted to me, um, I think a lot of them looked at me and said, this guy's not ready to come out of the oven yet this guy's just uh he's rough around the edges he's wild he's got he's got a lot of miles to go before he's gonna calm down enough to be good partner potential now some women weren't looking for partners they were just looking for you know a good time and an interesting guy and uh you know someone they'd learned something from and they could travel with for a while and you know i didn't have trouble with those women it was Women who were looking for something deeper than that, uh, obviously, I wasn't the guy. And but I was sometimes not at peace with that and misrepresenting myself, um, not to them ne- necessarily or not primarily to them, but to myself. And so, for me, a very pivotal moment. Uh, in terms of my dealings with women and dealing more importantly with myself was when I came to the realization of what kind of person I really am as opposed to what kind of person someone else may want me to be and you know that's the first step and the second step is being at peace with that so You know, I often say to people, find your non-negotiables and then don't negotiate. It's just another way of saying the same thing I'm saying now. Figure out what kind of person you are, who are you, what's really important to you, what do you want your life to be like, and then when you have a sense of that, then a clear sense of that and you manifest that, You, you act like that person then people know how to deal with you. And I think women will probably be a lot more receptive to you because they'll see what they're getting. It sounds to me like you're still a little half-baked and they can see that. And it's like you don't want to get on a bus if you don't know where it's going. So... Maybe some of the issues that you're having are that the kinds of women that you're attracted to, and you sound like a very thoughtful, substantial person. So you're going to be attracted to women who are as smart as you, and as cool as you, and as attractive as you. And so you're, you know, you're um, aiming high. And those women are. Probably a little turned off by your unresolved sense of identity. And, you know, hey, you're 26. I'm not blaming you. Um, You've obviously done a lot of work and you've come quite far. I guess what I'm trying to say is keep working and trust that as you work this stuff out, the world is going to open up to you and you just have to trust that you just have to know that um and it will it's astonishing how much easier it is to connect with women when you're in your 30s and 40s than when you're in your 20s uh i i'm just telling you it's astonishing uh and it's tragic for guys who get married in their 20s as a sort of uh, desperation move. They marry someone that, you know, maybe they aren't really that into. And then in their 30s and 40s, when they start to work their shit out and uh, women become much more attracted to them, well, it's too late or now there's divorce and there are kids and there's all this mess. So in a way... I guess what I'm saying is you're kind of lucky, maybe, long term, that you're not getting entangled in relationships. Because the kind of people that you're going to be able to hang out with once you get this shit worked out are way more interesting than the people that you're probably hoping to hang out with now. So, anyway it's just a, it's a strange thing. Um, Men's value on the dating market increases into their thirties and forties generally. And women's currency often starts to drop off, you know, if uh, unfortunately, because a lot of it is physical with the women and with the men, a lot of it is more sort of identity based and that's not fair and it sucks for women and it, sucks for men cuz in their 20s they're a lot of frustrated guys cuz women in their 20s are often dating guys who are older because they like more sort of together cool relaxed guys and guys in their 20s tend to be kind of intense and freaky and difficult and anyway i think i've talked about this enough so my my advice is hold on and and work out your shit And then things are going to get so much better for you before you know it. And you'll send me an email saying, thank you, man. I hope you do anyway. Um, What do you think about the comparison of densely populated areas to beehives? Recently here in South Florida, we experienced Hurricane Irma. And there was a lot of stress that 6 million people felt leading up to the storm I wonder if the hive vibrates like a disturbed beehive in times like this and maybe resonates together. Jeez, I don't know. This is from Mark. I don't know, Mark. Uh, but I'll tell you why. When I think about beehives right now, what I think about is this paper I read the other day showing that 70 there's been a 75% drop in total insect populations in um, the studied areas, which were, I think, in Germany and Holland. In the last 20 years. 75 reduction. 75% reduction. And the scientists who published this and commented on this were just pulling their hair out. They're like, people, we are watching the end of the world here. This is the end of the world. We're watching it happen. Um, When you've got insect populations dropping like fucking anvils, what you have is plants that aren't going to get pollinated. You have massive disruptions to world food supply. You have all sorts. The shit is hitting the fan, folks. This is what it looks like when the shit hits the fan. And I don't know what it's like to be young now. I don't know what it's like to grow up in this kind of shadow. When I was young, we were growing up uh, still in the shadow of nuclear Armageddon. There was this thing called the Soviet Union that had intercontinental ballistic missiles aimed at the United States and we had missiles aimed at them. And everybody was afraid that some mistake was going to happen or some madman would take over and we would wipe each other out. And that's still a concern, but it's a concern nobody's really talking about now because the fucking ocean currents are slowing down and the ice caps are melting and giant country-sized chunks of ice are breaking off in Antarctica and floating off into the ocean. And yeah, the fucking shit is hitting the fan. So I don't know about humans um, functioning as beehives. I've certainly spoken a lot about humans functioning as superorganisms, which is something um, I should really be writing about because it seems like history is passing by my My conjectures. (laughs) That's going to happen. Um, All right, here's the last Patreon Roma question. It's from Mad Carl. Mad Carl and I have corresponded a bit in the past. Um, I think we even met at one point. Um, Dude lives in Thailand part of the time, lives on a houseboat somewhere. Seattle or something part of the time. Anyway, um, Mad Carl says he was reading about um, genetic ancestry and turns out he has some Neanderthal in him. So do I. So, so does everyone except uh, Africans, I believe. Uh, he says, it got me thinking that in the end of the last ice age, humans didn't kill off the Neanderthals. They must have just swamped over them and incorporated them into our population and basically bred them out of existence. Uh, And then he read some papers about mitochondrial DNA and uh, that early humans were very nomadic. Uh, I'm thinking all this new genetic data backs up everything you were saying in your book. I mean, ancient humans were banging all sorts of hominids. This does not seem to be monogamous to me. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I agree. I, You know, the history... Prehistory of our species is uh, very open to conjecture. So you get, you know, most, 90% probably of the scientists are very uh, sort of hard-ass male, uh, frustrated because they weren't athletes. So they grew up to be sort of nerds, but they have all this frustrated macho energy. So they express it in their theorizing So you get the man, the hunter theory, you know, the evolution was propelled forward by men who were hunting and killing. And you get the the prehistory of war, that war drove progress. I mean, you know, cooperation of groups of men, highly integrated groups of men who were going out and raiding and killing other men and men, 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 all this shit. Um... Obviously, I disagree with that, and most of that has been shown to be balderdash. Uh, You find warfare far, far less frequent in hunter-gatherers than it is in uh, horticultural or agricultural people. This is one of my big beefs with Steven Pinker. If you read Sex at Dawn, you read um, some of what, uh, we had to say, about his me- m- very wanton misrepresentation of the data in order to create a a vision of uh, hunter-gatherer societies that's far more violent than they actually are. And he did this by calling horticulturalists hunter-gatherers. He did this by um, including hunter-gatherers who were shot and killed by loggers and farmers in the amazon as deaths in warfare and then called them warlike um just crazy shit like that uh but to me it seems far more likely that uh people are curious about other people and if there's nothing to fight over why fight You know, I mean, I'm walking down the street and I I come up to a stranger. My first impulse isn't to kill him. You know, why? I mean, unless he's got something I need or I have something he needs. Why? It's dangerous. People are dangerous. And hunter-gatherers are armed and they know how to use those fucking spears and spear throwers and bows and arrows um so why would you get into a conflict with them unless there's something that's really worth fighting over and the point is hunter gatherers don't have anything worth fighting over they don't have anything they're fucking nomads and they live day to day and you know what you're gonna club someone over the head to get his spear fuck that you know how to make your own spear um and then the you know the thing that People like Steven Pinker or Richard Dawkins will point to is, well, the women they would they would raid them for the women. Well, what does that presuppose? It presupposes first of all that the women aren't available without killing the men, which isn't necessarily what we see, uh, particularly among bonobos. When two bonobos come upon each other, two groups of bonobos come upon each other in the forest, generally they just sort of hang out and fuck each other. Uh, Even chimpanzees, who are famous for their warlike tendencies, when DNA tests are done on the baby chimpanzees, they often find that the female chimpanzees are running off into the, the jungle in the middle of the night and fucking males from other groups uh so there's a lot of uh genetic reason that we're attracted sexually attracted to people and in fact that we're sexually kind of repulsed by people that we grew up with right because there's uh danger in inbreeding so Humans are a female exogamous species, as are bonobos and chimpanzees, which mean that the females, when they reach sexual maturity, generally leave the group that they were born into. So as long as that's happening, females are are mixing and moving out into other groups, and we know that that's happened for a long time because of the mitochondrial DNA studies that Mad Carl refers to here, which show that females on average, traveled much further in their lifetimes than males did. Now, you might picture like, oh, that means women walked further or something? No, what it means is that women left the group they were born into and moved into other groups. And then their daughters did that, and then the granddaughters did that. And so, as the years went by, or as the generations went by, the female line was spreading out much further from where it started than the male line was. And that makes sense because of the nature of our species. So, yeah, it seems very logical to me, and it also fits the data that I'm aware of, that our species was much more likely to make love than to make war uh, until the Neolithic Revolution. Uh, and, And that's why... We're still traumatized by war. But few of us are traumatized by a healthy, happy sexual encounter. All right, here is an email from a woman. I'm a charming and independent uh, 29-year-old woman. I love to have sex. I was in a long-distance relationship for three years um, with a guy who was living in another country near me? Um, we saw each other uh, occasionally. Uh, da, 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 three weeks every two months, they would get together. Uh, had a great time. Worked out really well. Then he moved back to his country, and she decided that she would move there to be with him. He wanted her to be there, of course. Um, but it was a big deal for her. It was she's very independent. So moving to another, guy, to another country for a guy scared me is not a thing I would do for practically anyone. Right before I moved, he sent me an email describing what our life together was going to be like. It contained a schedule and rules. I didn't like that he just thought of himself and I could only edit it after, but he thought I would like the plan. He wrote down what he needed for me and also wrote down what my needs from him would be. His needs from me were, number one, sex, number two, me being pretty, and number three, me being respectful and sweet to him. According to him, my needs from him were lighthearted fun and keeping me safe from the big bad world. <laughs> uh one of his rules in particular hurt me on many levels. He said he needed to have sex once a day on average. That's fine, of course. If he needs that, he should be with a woman who wants it that often. And it's great that he expresses it. But he turned it into a rule. Anyway, she goes on uh, talking about how he he had these rules and then she didn't like that he was turning the, their sex life into this rule-based behavior and... um. Anyway, she wanted to know my opinion on that. And I wrote back to her and asked about whether they had a power dynamic in their erotic life. Uh, Because I had sort of a sense that he thought that he was being erotic by laying these things out. And so there was a misunderstanding there. And she told me that, yes, in fact, they did have a dominant, submissive energy in their relationship. And so I think that a mistake a lot of people make is in not having very clear boundaries between Scenarios that are fun and electric in erotic parts of life and and the rest of life. So, and I think we're seeing this all over the place right now. I think we're seeing a lot of confusion between power and eroticism uh, in... All the allegations of sexual abuse that are breaking out all over Hollywood right now uh, you know these are people who don't get it I mean there there are things that can be a big turn on like maybe you maybe you have this fantasy about um, you know a librarian, a sexy librarian, and you I mean, I don't know if people even go to libraries anymore, but you know you go to the library and then she's there and you, tell, you know, check out a book and she drags you behind the desk and I'm like, ah. well, you don't go to a fucking library and you know whip your dick out at the librarian. It's like, dude, that's your fantasy, right? That's not real life. Uh, and even when you share that fantasy with another person and it turns him or her on as well. So now it's your mutual fantasy scenario that you enact together and get off on. That still doesn't mean that it has any legitimate role in the other parts of your life. Uh, And it sounds to me like what happened in this case was they had this power dynamic and he was trying to say, yeah, when you come and live in this country with me, The whole thing is going to be our power play dynamic. Isn't that going to be fun? And she was saying, no. I just want to do that in bed. I just want to do that when we're fucking. And I don't want you to tell me I'm going to fuck you every day. You know? And she'd be more likely to fuck him every day if he didn't do that so what he did the mistake that he made and of course I'm only getting her side of the story so who knows you know how it looked from his perspective but it sounds to me like the mistake that this relationship suffers from is not distinguishing eroticism from uh, non-erotic relationship dynamics and this happens a lot. I mean, how women, how many of your friends are like, you know, or maybe you, how many women are like into asshole dudes? And it's like, why does she like these guys? Why does she keep going out with these guys? She's so nice. She's so smart. And she keeps going out with these assholes. Why? Well, probably because she likes the sex. She likes the dynamic. There's some psychological itch she has that gets scratched when he talks down to her and insults her and erotically. She's getting so much out of that that she's willing to put up with the rest of it. Now, what guys don't often don't understand is If a woman wants that kind of energy and you're comfortable with that kind of energy, you can do that and just leave it in the erotic part. But don't be an asshole the rest of the time. So, you know, if she likes a a pimp daddy, be a pimp daddy in bed. But shut the fuck up and be a decent person the rest of the time, you know and uh you know Harvey Weinstein could benefit from knowing that and you know all these other people who are I mean I don't know what the fuck is up with Kevin Spacey that's a whole different ball of wax right there but uh yeah I I, and this might sound counterintuitive coming from me because you know I'm all about being open about our sexuality and all that but that doesn't mean I'm I'm encouraging anyone to be, you know, you've heard me talk about dicks. I'm not a fan of the dick pic. I don't want any fucking dick pics. And I don't want to see a dude, you know, creeping out on women because A, it's aggressive and nasty and ugly. And B, it ruins the world for everybody else. I mean, it's so counterproductive. If you want get, If you're a dude, if you're a sexually frustrated dude and you want to get laid more, the absolute worst possible thing you can do is make women feel unsafe. That's the worst move you can make, and yet it's the move so many people are making. If you want the world to be a sexier, more relaxed place where guys are getting laid and women are happy is you got to make the women feel comfortable. You got to let them feel safe. You got to know they're being taken care of. You don't slut slut shame them. You don't talk about them behind their backs. I and mean, if you do, you talk respectfully, kindly. Talk about how great they are. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, what's my point? My point is You can do all sorts of kinky, crazy shit in your sex life, but keep it out of the rest of your life. And that includes even with the same person. That includes even, you know, in your relationship with the person. Maybe this guy wants you to stand on him and tell him what a little pencil dick piece of shit he is that turns him on in bed. But don't do that over Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) with the (laughs) in-laws come on now yeah it's contextual people that's what it's all about all right i'm gonna wrap this up i'm gonna read one more letter and this one is not a question it's uh he says i'm not writing to ask your advice but to share some words of encouragement to any fellow listeners of tangentially speaking who dream of traveling but don't know how to start it's from Corey Crawford. Hey, Corey. Hope you're still out there. This came in in July, so it's been a while. Uh, all right. He says I'm 33, barely graduated high school. I'm a delivery driver right now. I'm making 32 grand a year. And it's the most money I've ever made, yet, I travel expense- extensively. I never had an inheritance, never had more than a couple grand in my savings account don't have credit, don't have rich parents. Uh, I only had to quit my job and walk away once, which was my first trip abroad. And knowing what I now know, I didn't actually have to do it so dramatically. Uh, You don't have to abandon everything to have rich cultural experiences and see the world. It's not my intention to brag about my travels, but people ask me all the time how I do it, and I really don't have a good answer. The best answer I can come up with is this. It's all in the frame of mind. When I'm telling people about my travels, most people say I could never do that. Then they proceed to list off a host of reasons why. I approach it completely differently. I tell myself that no matter what, I'm going here and I spend the better part of a year piecing together what I have to do to make sure that happens. That may sound vague, but I've been to 16 countries on three continents using that logic. You just have to make up your mind and do it. A thousand things will pop up To tell you you can't or it's stupid, you really just have to rise above all that shit. Especially if travel and seeing the world is as important to you as it is to me. The way I break it down is this. There are thousands of beliefs on what exists and all are equally possible and ridiculous. At the end of the day, nobody fucking knows. That's true. The only thing any of us knows for a fact is that we're alive right now. There's a big world out there, and I'm going to see as much as I can before I die. I can't think of a good reason not to. When I'm on my deathbed, I know I won't regret any of my travels. In fact, I'll look back on them fondly. The only thing I'd regret is if, like so many other people I know, I'd barely left the town I grew up in. Being broke is no excuse. I've been broke my whole life. In fact, being broke is kind of liberating. I know that if I can live broke here pretty much all the time, I can live broke somewhere else for two weeks. So I'm not going to let that stop me. Another tip is not to be too snobby to pass up on great travel deals you find on things like Groupon. I used to think I was above package deals until I got a package deal to go to the Azores for 10 days, including hotel and flight for $730. I always wanted to go there, so I took the fucking deal. You don't have to play their games when you get there. Go out and find your own way, like I did. Thanks for the cheap flight and hotel room and the free ride from the airport. See y'all in 10 days. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I did the exact same shit in Mexico. And this is not an advertisement. I'm just stressing that where there's a will, there's a way. It's a good point. They sell those package deals. They even do things like, you know, where they try to get people to come down and invest in land or something. Just take the fucking flight and blast out. Honestly, I've made lots of friends in lots of countries. This has helped in travels. I'm also not timid in asking for favors, not financially, but I'm not too shy to ask for a place to stay. I can't afford to be shy about that. Yeah, just be charming and engaging and interested and polite and the world literally opens up for you. I agree. Do not be like most Americans. Do not be afraid of the world outside your bubble. Go live your life. Even if mom and grandma are beside themselves, you'll be fine and they'll get over it. (laughs) Yeah, Corey, you got it. That's right, man. Good advice. All right, I'm going to end there. Thank you for listening, everybody. I really appreciate your company on this journey. I hope things are going great for you wherever you are. I'm going to play you out with... um, A remix of a tune that I really love from Mano Chao. It's called Infinita Tristeza, which means infinite sadness. It's a beautiful song. Uh, If you enjoy this remix, check out the the original. Uh, It's very... If you speak Spanish, it's very moving. I think even if you don't speak Spanish, it's quite—you can you get the atmosphere of it. Anyway, this is a remix I just found. I don't know where. Maybe somebody sent it to me. I don't know, but but I really enjoy it. Hope you do too. Take care, everybody. Catch you on the other side.